but in a bigger picture, I think the problem again is that we rely on uh, legislation that doesn't include the Constitution and the Charter of Rights. So I think if we're again looking at that big picture, our children really don't learn about civics. They don't learn about politics. They don't learn about how public policy and legislation is enacted. They don't know what kind of uh, consultations should be happening. There haven't been, as you know, uh, across the board on legislation. They are not aware that they have a voice and that they can say, you know what, I don't agree with that. Somebody said the other day to me that we need a fourth reading. The legislatures and parliament are quick to do a first, second, and third reading. The fourth reading has to be what the people think. And we should have that kind of a, a option to be able to say, you know what, I'm not happy with the first, second, and third reading that went through in 48 hours. I would like to also voice my concern as a citizen. So I think there's ways that we can, we can push back on what's happening, but we don't teach our students this. A small fringe minority holding unacceptable uh, views. Wayne Baker, candidate for the People's Party of Canada in Perth, Wellington, with episode number six of the Purple Microphone. In episode three and four the per of the Purple Microphone, I, I interviewed a young chap by the name of Daniel Hodson, a student at Sta Stratford District Secondary School. Danny shared with us shocking accounts of transgenderism and critical race theory being taught in his English classroom. He also told us how any student who dared to question these woke ideologies or refused to conform to them would be removed from class and sent to the principal's office. In this week's interview, I speak with Janice Kakonen, a school board trustee who gives us an equally shocking account of the decision-making process that has led to classrooms transforming into indoctrination centers for Marxist identity politics. Janice is a mother of seven and grandmother of 21. She holds her master's degree in art and island studies at the University of Prince Edward Island and is finishing her PhD on the intersection of theology and public policy. She has been an educator most of her professional life. I met Janice and her husband, Rama, as, as a result of walking past their church in Arthur one day and listening to a still, small voice saying, you need to call the number listed on the church. I wrote the number down, went home, promptly called the number, and my life's never been the same since. Janice not only lives her faith as a Christian woman, but she shares it in the most amazing ways. 
After meeting Janice in this video, I'm sure you will agree with my assessment that she will be a positive influence on your life as well. Here's a glimpse of what Janice and I discuss. How Bill 98 could help classrooms return to a focus on core skills such as math, science, and English, rather than gender ideology, critical race theory, and sexual orientation. How Janice would like to change the decision-making process in school boards to allow for more innovation and less censorship. How children are not taught politics and grow up unable to converse in the public sphere. How identity politics is a completely unnecessary addition to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Why accepting government money means letting go of our freedom. How to shock your MP or MPP into line with one small piece of paper, even if you're not a great letter writer. How the British North America Act was created in 1867 to protect us from federal tyranny in 2024. I hope you enjoy this video. I hope you get, learn, learn something from it. I know I certainly have. Hello, I'm Wayne Baker, sitting here with my friend Janice Kekkonen. And Janice is the elected uh, trustee representing uh, uh, Great, uh, Southgate and Great Highlands in the Blue Waters District School Board. So she has a very unique perspective and uh, she has quite, a, quite an interesting story to tell. Janice, can you tell me a little bit about uh, how you got elected and what your life has been like since being elected? Good morning, Wayne. I think my life has been busy. I, I, I don't else I don't really know another way that I can express that. It's just been very busy. It was busy before I was elected, but then this just added another piece to the puzzle. It goes to show you how we have to multitask in all sorts of different ways. But before we start, I'd like to say that I have to offer a disclaimer. The views and opinions that I express here today do not reflect the values or the stances that the Blue Water District School Board takes. And as a board, these are my personal reflections and opinions and thoughts, and that will cover off the disclaimer part of it. So I just wanted to be sure that there wasn't going to come a time when uh, there were sanctions because I spoke publicly about students or student situations within the school system. Okay, all right. So. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience, your your perspective on the school system and, and the experience you've had um, dealing with uh, you, you were elected in the fall of 2022. So you've had just over a year um, experience as trustee. And can you tell, give me a, a rundown of the, the highlights, the low, low lights and the uh, everything some in-between things during the past uh, year and a bit? Well, I came into the school board as an educator. I have taught in universities and colleges. I've been in the K-12 system teaching. So it, I, some of the things within the school system don't surprise me. But it's like a big machine that just keeps on rolling. And unless somebody stands up and says that, hey, we can fix this machine and make it better, and be more productive and ensure that our kids are achieving, which is a very important part of, of where my goal is.
schools are still pretty much organized on factory lines, so ringing bells, separate facilities, uh, specialized into separate subjects. Um, we still educate children by batches. You know, we put them through the system by age group. Why do we do that? You know, why is there this assumption that the most important thing kids have in common is how old they are? You know, it's like the most important thing about them is their date of manufacture. You know what I mean? Well, I know kids who are much better than other kids at the same age in different disciplines. You know, or at different times of the day. Or better in smaller groups than in large groups. Or sometimes they want to be on their own. If you're interested in the model of learning, you don't start from this production line mentality. These are, it's essentially about conformity, and increasingly it's about that as you look at the growth of standardized testing and standardized curricula. And it's about standardization. I believe we've got to go in the exact opposite direction. That's what I mean about changing the paradigm. So when I entered into politics to be a school board trustee, well, first of all, you don't expect to win. So that's your first hurdle. If you can call it a hurdle, oh, I just got elected. But it's great. I thank the constituents for putting their faith and trust in me. But I think moving forward, going into a school board is very different. You expect that you're going to be able to reflect the values and principles of your constituents, and yet the legislation itself says that you are now responsible to the board and to be acting on behalf of the board. That's a big change because municipal councillors, and we're elected under the same legislation, are expected to answer to their constituents. They are responsible to their constituents. So it's a big change when you go in as a school board trustee and find out that you're responsible to the board. The board decision stands and any opinions or, or differences that you might have are your own and they don't reflect the board and you're not allowed to speak about them. That's why we have to do the disclaimer. So there, there was a big change and things move slowly. In institutions, things move slowly. At the same time, uh, Minister Lutchi, in Ontario, Education Minister Lecce, he has introduced Bill 98, which is intended to do a number of things, make a number of changes within school boards and education system. The first he continues to reiterate is the back to basics. Let's get our kids learning in reading, writing, math, and dealing with the mental health issues. And that's all, that's very um, worthy. Ontario's Minister of Education recently introduced a bill aimed at getting both students and school boards back to basics. More math and literacy for students, more training and direction from Queen's Park for school trustees. That minister is, of course, Stephen Lecce, the progressive conservative MPP for King Vaughan, and he joins us now here in our studio. Nice to have you back here. Thanks so much. Bill 98, the Better Schools and Student Outcomes Act. What's the mission here? It's to strengthen the outcomes associated with student achievement. I think the overwhelming anchor and mission of the bill is to elevate standards and frankly elevate the ambitions we have for our kids. I think what we see is good work being done in publicly funded schools. We cannot discount uh, amazing changes of outcomes, of employment, of graduation rates, and of creating meaningful paths to lives of, of purpose and dignity. However, I think one of my roles as a public servant is to play challenge function in any system. What does that mean, play challenge function? to insist that the agencies, boards, commissions, the people who interface with the next generation of our country uh, are doing their best. And thus, the bill was designed in, in, in the short title of the bill. It is about better schools and better student outcomes, graduation rates, uh, greater levels of, of, of students attending school, reduction in absenteeism, and most especially, 
a strengthening of skills development with, with respect to reading, writing, and math. We do believe the foundational skills, if you don't get those right, if we don't master those fundamentals, all the other good stuff we teach, social, emotional learning, emotional intelligence, collaboration, all the other soft skills that are also paramount will uh, not be, frankly, uh, uh, will not be as valued unless we get the fundamentals right, which is why we're really leaning into that. And school board, are the school boards there yet? Some are, some aren't. At the same time, I should say that over 50% of the trustees that were elected in that election were new, brand new. And they're new for a reason. Parents wanted their voice to be heard, parents wanted change, and parents weren't willing to go with the status quo. Again, all good, good, good motives and, and certainly we're hoping that change happens. But change is slow. It's an institution. It's a big institution. It takes a lot of our tax dollars. And so to move that machine from point A to point Z takes time. There's been governance uh, practices that have continued that need to be changed, in my opinion. But, and again, that takes time. So we're working slowly towards that change. And I believe that when you connect with these other new trustees, you, you, you actually hear that, that they would like to see the change happen. Positive change, constructive change for our students. And that our students, when they come out of the K-12 system, can actually work, move into the workplace or to university post-secondary or into an apprenticeship trade, and that they will be successful which is what all of our motives are as parents when we're raising children is can we move them to the point of independence and learning where they can be successful. So we're working on all of that together and that requires a change in mindset. There's a lot to unpack there, Janice. There is. Um, I wanted to complicate it. <laughs> what, what, one of the comments you made, and there's about three, three things I'd like, like to uh, work or reflect on. The first one is, an assumption that we make as citizens that our elected representation has more the ultimate power and ultimate authority. And power is a bad term to use, but ultimate authority to direct and guide our uh, our institutions. And you're, you're, what you're telling me is it sounds to me like the tail's wagging the dog. In many ways. Now, change is happening. Again, when you have over 50% of the trustees that were elected in 222 as new, brand new trustees, then the change is going to happen. It's a matter of pushing back enough that the change continues to happen. But one of the things that we should be conscious of is that the legislation for trustees is very different than the municipal councils. So they are directly responsible. As a councillor, you're directly responsible to your constituents. And I would assume that in the same way as the school boards, that when a decision is made at the board level, yes, you can criticize the decision, but not the board or the council. And so in our case, if we are going to criticize the decision, it's not a good thing because it's, it's looked at as being unfavorable. Instead of um, looking at it and saying, could we do better with this decision? Or can we revisit this decision? It's just, don't speak about it. You have to agree as a trustee with the board decision. I don't have a problem with that. The board has decided as a majority that this is the way that they're going to go, the direction they're taking. But I think that we could do it in a different way. I think we could be more accountable to the parents. I think we can be more responsible for our students. And that good conversations and dialogues can only happen when we're willing to change that mindset of governance 
where we can actually step away and say, hey, this is how I feel about this. How do you feel? And when you have 10 trustees around the table and each of us can contribute to that voice, we all learn from each other. And maybe it won't be the decision that each every individual trustee would like to see at the end of the day. It's still going to be a majority decision. But the conversation has informed us, informed each and every one of us of these 10 different perspectives. And then from a bigger, broader picture, then you have freedom of expression, which is the bedrock of Canada, of the Constitution, of our society, of our social fabric. But at the same time, we're learning. All of us are learning. Because we're, it's not one just one particular voice that's going to win the day. But if we all learn from each other, it gives us time to reflect, think about things, and to learn. And to say, well, maybe I didn't have all the answers and the ducks lined up in a row. Maybe I should consider that perspective. But when we don't have those conversations at a board table, because it's very, the agenda is very, um, very strict. I'm not sure what word we could use. Then we're missing that opportunity to do the best by our students and parents and families and the community at large, the social fabric that is going to be ultimately affected by these students when they go into the workforce or into schooling, whatever direction we decide to take. It's the future of our nation. It is, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about as core as we can possibly get to the future of our nation. And if I can make one more point, Wayne, uh, I just want to say that uh, I pick up on that point, freedom of expression. Freedom of expression is very important. If we ourselves as board trustees or as employees or counselors or wherever we are in the level of governance or as citizens are shut down from speaking, from speaking freely, how do we honestly expect going forward that our children are going to be able to speak freely? We are the example, or we should be the example, that indicates that freedom of speech is welcome. Different, diverse opinions should be welcome. And we should be allowed to say, say so, say, speak freely as free men and free women within Canada. And when we do that, again, there's going to be people who disagree with us, but that's okay because then we're not shutting down conversation. And that's one of the concerns I have. We are not, by being tightly lipped around a board table, what is the example to our students? We do have student trustees in the room. What is the example if everything is already decided before we get to the table? So there's a lot of questions I have as a, not just as a trustee, but as an individual. So we're pushing forward. And I think that that's what all the motivations of the 50% plus who are new are doing as well. Okay. okay. Now you were referring to the word change and, and, and you, you alluded to uh, some of the uh, things you like change, but uh, could you give us a picture of what it's like now versus where you want to go? Uh, I know you're talking about freedom. You just talked about freedom of expression. Uh, that's, uh, that's videly important in, in our country, like in any functioning country. Democracy, we, we were talking about democracy last week, and democracies, you have a, a constitutional democracy is what we really want. And a constitution, a key to a constitution is that freedom to express ourselves. Um, Definitely. I, I think Jordan Peterson um, put it quite astutely when he said that we exchange our ideas how do you put, he, he says, our ideas will die ahead of us. 
if we have a bad idea, rather than putting our lives on the line for that bad idea, we might even just die on the table and, and, and adapt and change. What you're doing when you're thinking, apart from splitting yourself into a multiplicity of selves, is you're splitting yourself into a multiplicity of selves, many of which you're going to allow to die so that you don't have to, right? So you have an idea and you play it out in your imagination. And if when you play it out, the consequence is not what you want, then you just kill that thing off. Then you don't have to die. So that was Alfred North Whitehead. He said, uh, the purpose of thinking is so that our thoughts die instead of us. That's the beauty of free speech. I, 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 I thoroughly enjoy talking to someone that's solidly on the other side of the spectrum. And I thoroughly enjoy uh, having a, a, a good, solid conversation with them, uh, as long as they're willing to, to converse. And usually, if it's intelligently approached and, and intelligently uh, communicated, we both walk away a little bit wiser. And I think that's what that's that's what our uh, um, our freedom of speech is all about: is if, if we can walk walk away from an interaction, and we stop and we, we think for a while and, and assess the conversation. I think that that's very important. So. I agree. I think that I, I really truly believe that conversation is important and dialogue and constructive dialogue. I don't know if it has to always be intelligent because people are on different places, come from different places and experiences, but I do believe that people should be allowed to speak freely in a constitutional democracy, as you allude. I think that this idea of your voice is not valued or important to the conversation is a problem. And it's a problem that we're seeing not just from polit the political level, but in all mainstream, anything, legacy media, the same thing. We're being shut down, the censorship bills as well. We're being shut down from conversation. And maybe my views don't reflect your position or your personal views, but my views are important. As a Canadian citizen, I believe that I have something to contribute. And I believe that that is the problem that we're seeing, is that only certain views are considered acceptable now. And this is going to be reflected in our student education system going forward as well, because those views means that teachers within the system will not be allowed to express certain views. And it will, it will have to take, it'll be like a square box. You fit into the square box or you don't. If you don't fit into the square box, you won't be working. So there's all sorts of things that we need to consider. But the bottom line is freedom of expression needs to continue. And that should be at every table, not just at the board table. The dinner table as well for fans. There is an army veteran who was recently arrested for causing someone anxiety over retweeting a meme. Um, and this meme was the uh, gay pride flag um, configured in a way that made a swastika. And I think this guy was trying to show, you know, how authoritarian the left has become and, um, you know, with this woke propaganda. So, yeah, that's just a meme that he retweeted. You can agree with that. You can disagree with that. The question is, did it warrant what happened next? Because I think nothing could have proven his point better than what followed. So this man that reposted this meme was met with the police. I think about five of them showed up to his house. Suppose the police would realize how ridiculous this is. I posted something that he posted. You come to arrest me, you don't arrest him. Why has it come to this? Why am I in cuffs? Because of something he shared, then I shared. Did someone, this is caused obviously anxiety, based upon your 
social media sites. Now, well, not his. Why are you being they basically harassed him, told him that he had to pay 60 pounds to be re-educated. Everyone here will be cleansed of their hateful ways and ready to ascend to the next level. Or be arrested. And this immediately reminded me of Camp Camp. I don't know if any of you watched that. Um, it's show and there was a scene where there was a camp counselor who was a uh, cult uh, leader and he basically took all the kids into a purification sauna. Subliminal messaging to deconstruct your psyche, build you in a form that will please the agent bands. You brainwashed the entire camp! Brainwashed? No, no, no. I just appealed to their emotions and showed them the light. People don't want to think, Max. They just want to feel safe. And feelings beat facts any day. This sounds so, so scary and dystopian that it really does remind me of that. It's like, you have to be re-educated. The woke, we have to listen to the woke mob. And if they think that anyone should be able to transition as young as five years old, and if they think that they, them pronouns and these, them pronouns make perfect sense, but you don't, you have to pay up to get re-educated or you're gonna go to prison. And you're telling me that the individual that was, you know, that got anxious, instead of like, let's say, scrolling to the next post or even calling up your therapist, right? If it really affected you that badly, you call the police? No. Now, I and five cops were needed. I mean, next time, why not just send the whole SWAT team? We need backup, okay? There is someone who felt anxious, not just anyone, someone from the LGBTQ community. Fake an emergency. <laughs> And I really think that we should come together and fight against this nonsense because this is insane. This is just completely silencing people, basically sending the message, if you don't agree with anything in regards to the LGBTQ uh, community or movement, whatever, you can be arrested. Sounding like you're just describing a Chinese social credit system or the, the advent of, of what maybe version of the, the social credit system. Uh, yes, basically. And when trustees can be sanctioned for abuse, uh, which we see in other boards, we haven't seen that at Blue Water District School Board, which I'm thankful for. But when we see what's happening in other school boards where voices around the table, duly elected trustees are not allowed to speak freely and to present their views, then that is problematic. And I, legacy media is quick to pick up those controversial stories and they pick up this, they do the clip that they would like to have most prominent out there in the public square. But if we dig deeper, these people are just ordinary people like you and I, trying to speak on behalf of their constituents the concerns that they hear from parents. So I think that there's, there's a lot of things to, as you say, unpack, but there's a lot of things that we need to fight back on and push, push back and just say, my voice is important. And it doesn't matter where that voice is being heard, it, your voice is important. I think if we can get that message to Canadians right across the board, I think Canada would be a better country. You asked about change. Um, change is just ensuring that everything isn't top down and that conversations go back up the chain as well. When, when we have a monopoly in our system, we, things go off the rails and they go off the rails in really nasty ways. And I really believe that we have a monopoly in our education system. And we're seeing evidence of, of unelected 
individuals expressing far more power than what they're entitled to. And to a great extent, I agree. We have good people in Blue Water who are who have the right motives. So we do have some really good people in Blue Water. But in a bigger picture, I think the problem again is that we rely on uh, legislation that doesn't include the Constitution and the Charter of Rights. So I think if we're again looking at that big picture, our children really don't learn about civics. They don't learn about politics. They don't learn about how public policy and legislation is enacted. They don't know what kind of uh, consultations should be happening. There haven't been, as you know, uh, across the board on legislation. They are not aware that they have a voice and that they can say, you know what, I don't agree with that. Somebody said the other day to me that we need a fourth reading. The legislatures and parliament are quick to do a first, second, and third reading. The fourth reading has to be what the people think. And we should have that kind of a, a option to be able to say, you know what, I'm not happy with the first, second, and third reading that went through in 48 hours. I would like to also voice my concern as a citizen. So I think there's ways that we can we can push back on what's happening, but we don't teach our students this. The Constitution, under the supremacy of God and rule of law, is still the highest law in Canada. It protects the rights of every citizen, the rights and freedoms of every citizen. And as much as it seems to be discarded by many of our government entities, it still stands. And if we lose those constitutional rights and freedoms all the way down, starting at the top, right to the board, the school boards, and municipal councils, we lose what is important in Canada. This is the greatest nation besides the US. This is the greatest nation. We have uh, minerals and resources that are so plentiful in Canada. We have been blessed. And yet we're willing to push aside what is important, which is the bedrock freedom of expression and say that we're going to uh, put other pieces of legislation. I'll just give you an example of human rights. Human rights is covered in the Constitution. So we've got a duplicate um, tribunal system or court system going on. And in some extent, it facilitates moving complaints along. But at the same time, the recognition doesn't start and stop with human rights. It starts with the Constitution. Every citizen means every citizen. One of the pet peeves I've had recently is when we see this applies to all, the statement, this applies to all regarding whether it's students, citizens, whatever. And this is, again, it's bigger than school board. It applies to all. And then there's this add-on. And it also includes this group and this group and this group and this group. Well, the Constitution is clear. Every citizen means every citizen. We don't sure. need to actually add on identity politics. Every citizen, it applies to every citizen. Why are we not putting the period after every citizen? If it can work for our Constitution, Charter, Rights and Freedoms, then it can certainly work in every other aspect. Every citizen, all citizens, it applies to everybody equally. But it seems that more and more we're we're seeing this add-on, this group and this group and this group. No, 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 you're, you're, you fit under all. So there's some things that we can be doing that I'm working on as trustees and as a citizen in, in this area of saying, put the period there. Put it in your legislation and yeah. your, you know, put it, put a period. It applies to everybody equally. 
And then we're bringing it back into a society where everybody is valued. And I think that's where we're going to win the day. And hopefully the reason that we're having this conversation, Wayne, is so that at the end of the day, people have lots to think about, to reflect on, and, and that they can become validated in their own selves to be able to stand as well together and say, this is, this is not uh, just my life that's going to be affected. It's all of our generations going forward as well. I think I've mentioned this before, but I, I took a course last spring, and it was about, it was an American course, it was about American women. And what I had a hard time wrapping my head around is the concept of liberty means that your neighbor's liberty is actually more important than your own. And that was that was difficult to wrap my head around, but that but that is actually that, that ties back to the Christian concept about your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. And so, um, and we've built, I mean, we we we've built a, a society. We've we've been able to put men on the moon. I mean, as North America, like the, you know, um, I think Canada's a big part of that. that, that, that picture. Uh, we've built society. We can we can get in our car, we can go to the airport, we can hop in an airplane, we can fly anywhere. And we need to retain it. And Thanks. it doesn't happen just because we want it to happen. We need to be the ones who are saying we're going to protect all of our rights and freedoms, mm -hmm. not only for us us and our neighbors, but for also for generations coming. Yes. yes. And unfortunately the I, I'm not sure how to describe them, but the people that have been in power over the last, I'd say, almost as long as I've been here, I've never been in power. So I, I'd say with the key date is 1960. Um, we've normalized deficit spending. We're in, in such massive debt in this country. And what that has done is that, you know, it, it's, it's changed our freedom. And our, our future freedom for trinkets, and that's all it is—is is trinkets. It's all we all we're getting is trinkets from the government. You know, oh, yeah, like I mean, ten-dollar day daycare. Like, yeah, it sounds really good, but how many people actually qualify for it? That's the other issue. So, yes. so I mean, there's 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 all kinds of trinkets that we we, we think we're going to. You know, it sounds good. Um, sing. Got together with uh, Trudeau on the condition that they uh, they bring in universal dental care. Well, we're not seeing that, and who actually qualifies? You know, you've got to, I mean, you've got to got to jump through three hoops on on, on a blue moon before you can actually, you know, they they, they make the uh, make the sound bites sound good, but the actual where the rubber hits the road, it's meaningless. It's well, I'd even think of it a little bit differently if. We are always accepting government money for whatever program it is, then we're no longer free. If you've lost your job and are having troubles making ends meet, you can apply for the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. Millions of people have already had their claim processed and they're getting their $2,000 deposit. Remember, you can apply today or this weekend if you haven't done so yet by going to Canada.ca or calling 1-800-959-959. 2041.
If you own a small business and are struggling to pay the bills or pay your staff, we launched the Canada Emergency Business Account yesterday. You can now get a $40,000 interest-free loan through your bank or credit union. And if you repay it within two years, 25%, up to $10,000, of that loan is forgivable. It'll only take a few days for you to receive the full amount in your account. That's money you can use for whatever you need, whether it's monthly expenses or paying employees. And I think that there's merit in just having a discussion about at what point do we stop being free. One of the things that I think about very strongly, because it seems to be coming up more and more and was mentioned by the PM just recently, is the code of conduct. At this point, code of conducts are not a legal requirement. And yet it seems to me that there's more and more codes of conduct being imposed on the, on the constituents. Whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your not-for-profits, it just seems that like school boards, uh, municipal councils, your parliament uh, legislature, you have to comply to a code of conduct with, with somebody's vision to somehow control you. And yet it's not a legal requirement at this time. Now, because the PM mentioned it, we can see the, the writing on the wall that in the near future, there will be codes of conduct that are legal requirements in order for you to uh, comply with whatever organization you're involved with. But if I step back and I say, I don't think codes of conduct are legal now. I can be grandfathered in, so that I'm fine. But if I only looked at it from my own perspective, my own self-interest, that doesn't save society. That doesn't help society going forward. I don't want codes of conduct to replace our own being and self-awareness that says that I know how to behave. I know how to construct a conversation. And to be able to be, again, free to do so. I don't need somebody to tell me on a piece of paper what it is I can and cannot do. And so these are things that we can stand now and actually say, you know what, I think that's wrong. And stand on the fact that at this particular moment in time, January, the end of January 2024, they are not a legal requirement. Let's stand on that and let's say, no, we don't want codes of conduct that govern and define everything that we can do or say. We are not that kind of citizenry. We were never, the founders and framers of Canada, if we go back in history, never set Canada up that we could never hear other voices. It was never set up that way. It was structured so that we would have freedoms and liberty and uh, security of person. That's right. It, it, was, it was adopted under the uh, British, um, British system, monarchy system. Right. Uh, but we still have that inherent right, which ties back to the Magna Carta. Yeah. Uh, that, that's probably the most radical document that has changed the, the outcome of our history. And acknowledging the, the rights of the individual versus corporate rights of, uh, of, of, of who is, is far better, far more secure uh, system. Unfortunately, our, our constitution that uh, Mr. Trudeau Sr. brought in 1992 um, or didn't acknowledge property rights and he acknowledged um, more group rights than individual rights. There in, is in flaws. The collective bargaining. So, yeah, there is so some there, flaws. There, there, yes. it, like I, 
like 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 Churchill said about democracy, it's it, it's it's a it's a terrible system of government. It's the best we got. Well, our, our constitution's you know it's got some pretty awful flaws, but it's the best we got. So it's it, we, we, we can, have to work with what we've got. But we can always go back to the Bill of Rights as well in courts and judicial action. So we do have a second uh, equally valid document in terms of our constitution. I just wanted to say, since you raised it, and in terms of the charter, you know, at what point does the government get to dictate what part of the constitution applies and which doesn't? And we saw that in the in the lockdowns. Given what we've just seen in the numbers, we have to act now in, in, in those big jurisdictions, those urban areas uh, right now. New projections show on our current track, the country could hit 5,000 cases a day by the end of October. But if contacts and gatherings are reduced, Canadians can once again flatten the curve. I don't see any evidence that we're making changes now, to be perfectly frank. Instead, bubbles are growing. They now include entire classrooms full of kids. Restaurants and workplaces have reopened, and private gatherings have proven tough to police. I don't think people are going to easily go back to control measures again unless it is you know, thrust upon them. Health authorities insist targeted lockdowns could happen at some point, but disease trackers say this virus could get out of control fast, triggering a wave of infections much bigger than the first. Where section one was translated or interpreted, interpreted to protect government. But if section one meant what government had, had alluded to it meaning, then there would be no need for the rest of the Constitution. And I think as citizens, we understood that premise. We understood from our own, you know, having been raised through those constitutional discussions in each lake and court and all of those different debates that we heard on the radio. We understood that this Constitution was intended, or the Charter was intended to protect us from government. So when they said, Section 1 says that, you know, you have to listen to us and, and it prevents all those other rights, they can take them away when they invoke the Emergency Act. What they did was they reinterpreted what was never intended. Because why would you need to even have a debate about the Charter and the rest of those rights and freedoms if at the end of the day, you uh, Section 1 applied the way it was interpreted to, or told to us to apply. So I think there's questions that we have as a society, as individuals, as families, as, as, uh, as communities that we need to ask. And I think in asking the question, let's see what answers we get. But by asking the questions, we feel empowered. We feel that we've actually done something to just say, you know what, I'm not, a, I'm not the most intelligent letter writer, but I do have a question, so ask the question. And let's see if we can get 338 MPs to respond to that question. Our senators as well, respond to that question. I have a question I feel is a valid question. You don't have to be a great letter writer to, to be able to express yourself. But when we do that as citizens, we're putting the government that is there on notice. And I think that's important. Yeah. I, I agree. Same with our school boards. Ask your trustees the questions, the pertinent questions. What are you doing? What, why did you say that? Why did you vote this way? These are good questions. And force us as elected representatives, whether it be trustees at the school board, councillors at municipality, whether it's parliamentarians or legislators, force everybody who's in an elected position to really think through 
why they voted a certain way. I think we get accountability and governance as we move this forward. And we're seeing inroads being made slow because it is a big machine. If I go back to my earlier comments, it is a big machine. But as more people say, I don't like what's happening, change will happen. And it may not be overnight, may not even be in my term, but change will happen. And it'll be positive, constructive change because all of us as parents and grandparents have one legacy and that is our children. That is the only thing that we're gonna leave behind. That, and we need to make sure that with the same rights and freedoms we had and that we grew up with the same democracy, the same right to challenge, the same right to have judicial reviews is the same rights of these and freedoms that these young, our youth are gonna have youth, going forward. Democracy, yeah. Yes. yes, democracy is worth fighting for, even if you don't feel that you, you are informed enough to do it, democracy is worth fighting for. Have conversations at the local level, have conversations with your peers, your colleagues, your family members. And most of all, I think from a trustee perspective, don't forget that that dinner conversation around the table with your children is very important. It teaches them how to converse in the public square and you will be given them lessons that they never thought possible. And it all starts at that dinner table. Yeah, yeah I remember some pretty, uh, pretty spirited, spirited <laughs> intense, cool, interesting conversations that I've been with them. So that's, and that's, that's something unfortunate. I don't, I, really, uh, I don't really have a legacy of children. So I never really have the opportunity to be dad and daughter But now you're making up for it. You're having conversations with ordinary citizens. Oh, yeah. And that is equally important because people who are viewing these kinds of conversations get to see themselves in us and in society. And I think overall, again, you're pushing conversation, you're pushing a dialogue that may not, people may not always agree with, but it will give them pause to think. I look at it from the gospel perspective. We're planting seeds. Yeah. We're planting seeds that will make our society better. That is not a bad thing. Yeah, you're, 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 you're right. But in I, this case, let's remember that God blessed Canada. <laughs> I, I, I believe that those thorns and thistles are not necessarily a very close. Those thorns and thistles are with us throughout our entire lives, no matter what field or what profession we choose. The thorns and thistles are there. And those thorns and thistles grow in our nation as well. And we haven't cultivated the field of our nation. We've just let it go. Like we've never really, you know, we've let, you know, let people like the elected representatives Voting and it was union with union law, and the elected representatives went and, and we have abdicated the responsibility to unelected bureaucrats, and those bureaucrats have taken that control and that power. They're the weeds, uh, a lot of them. I'm not saying they're all like they, they do need um, a support structure, but if they if they're not reined in and kept under control, then they become they can become a very powerful region. I think that's what you're dealing with with the, uh, with the school board. Is well, dealing with these, these powerful weeds that really are not 
they're, they're, they're more about their own preservation and their own, own comfort than they are about what they should be there for, which is which is the betterment of our society and the betterment of our country. Well, I don't think I can legitimately call anybody in the school board weeds, but I do see where you're coming from. I think in the bigger picture, government has, has become huge and it doesn't want to diminish its size at any any future point that we can see from where we're standing right now. But I do think that in terms of the school board, there is a machine and there's 72 school boards that are machines. And the only way that any machine is forced to halt is when the citizens stand in front of that machine. Now we have good, I have good supports in the school board. I get regular communications from constituents who are helping me and supporting me and, and you know, just being there is, is helpful. Just saying that I really appreciate your point of view is helpful. But I think that if we're going to stop or slow down what is happening in, in Ontario and Canada, it is going to require people saying, I'm not happy with what you just did. Last week, for an example, I, I stuffed envelopes with uh, a little thing that I'm not happy with the euthanasia and aid program going to um, uh, basically looking to euthanize those people who are disabled, people who are disabled, people who have special challenges, people with mental health. And I stuffed those envelopes and I just spent it in Ontario, sent them out to the MPs in Ontario. And I did it really quickly. So it was like half an hour doing it. I just printed off, photocopied it, cut them up, and, and that was the end of it. I sent them off in the mail because you don't need to stamp in an envelope for an MP if you send it to the House of Commons. And I felt good because even though I didn't have time to write a real letter where I can actually express all of my viewpoints and my feelings and my concerns about where this is going to go next, I did something. And I, I believe every one of us can do something. A budget stretched thin as it is. I see. Perhaps I could write the state senate and request funds directly from them. As far as they're concerned, only three ways to spend the taxpayers hard earned when it comes to prisons. More walls, more bars, more guards. Still, I'd, I'd like to try with your permission. I'll write a letter a week. They can't ignore me forever. Sure can. But you write your letters if it makes you happy. I'll even mail them for you. How's that? So Andy started writing a letter a week, just like he said. And just like Norton said, Andy got no answers. And still, he kept sending those letters. It's a goddamn mess, I'll tell you that. What's all this? You tell me they're all addressed to you. I take it. Mr. Dufresne, in response to your repeated inquiries, the state has allocated the enclosed funds for your library project. This is $200. In addition, the library district has generously responded with a charitable donation of used books and sundries. We trust this will fill your needs. We now consider the matter closed. Please stop sending us letters. I want all this cleared out before the warden gets back. Yes, sir. Good for you, Andy. 
took six years. From now on, I'll write two letters a week instead of one. Uh, I believe you're crazy enough. There was a, uh, somebody who said, well, we can always send a piece of paper that has um, done on pink, pink paper that says, you're fired, I'm done, this is your pink slip. And I haven't quite ever gotten to that point, but I do understand the humor that sometimes, you know, you need to just shock people into saying, you're not representing the interests of the people, the long-term interests. And in my case, it's the long-term interests of students. I want students to learn. I think we have a great history, a rich history in this country. Yes, we we're, everything hasn't been perfect, but everything isn't perfect in anybody's lives. We can pretend it is, but it isn't. But I think we have a rich history and we really need to remember that the people who came before us fought for us. And we've had it pretty easy. We haven't had wars. We haven't had a lot of issues, and maybe the government has, the governments have taken advantage of that, the people behind the, in the system. But at the same time, they can only go so far because when the citizens as a group say no more, and we saw that with the Million March for Children, we saw parents saying, you know what, we're not gonna do this anymore. We're not being part to this. We want you to stop and start teaching the basics of, for our children. There was movement. Under God! One flag under God! One flag under God! One flag under God! One nation under God! One nation under God! One nation under God! Ladies and gentlemen, we got politicians coming out! So this is exactly what happens when you threaten people's children. You see many, many people gathered there from all different backgrounds, from all different religions, from all different walks of life. And what was just said there, we have been talking about for an extremely long time on this program. Make no mistake about it. What's happening here is the slippery slope and the end goal, the benchmark of success for these people is to make it legal to have sex with your children. That's where this is headed. Unfettered, unbridled, unlimited sexual access to your children. This is a war for your children. They are coming for your children. Now, was every trustee happy about that? No, I'm quite sure that there were a lot of trustees. I'm quite sure there were a lot of people in the system, the directors and the bureaucrats behind the scenes, the superintendents who were not happy about this change in direction that is now going to be imposed on them. But parents stood up. And if you're not happy with what's happening in your school system, then you need to say so. And you need to let all the trustees know. And you need to let the people behind the scenes know that you're not happy. And initially, you would think that you're the only voice. No, we're hearing from parents all over. 
there are parents who are looking for like-minded trustees to put back the, the common sense into education. So it is happening when constituents take 50% of the trustees and put them into place in 222 and make it a brand new board in some places where there wasn't a lot of uh, people who were on the board as trustees replaced, they were replaced, they weren't, they weren't allowed to continue. Then you're seeing that people are saying, you know what, we can do better and we can always do better. But these are, these are our kids and our kids deserve better. Absolutely. We, we deserve better as citizens and our kids, absolutely. Our future deserves better. Yeah. We've we, we built a society that at the poorest person in our society uh, they can live at a far superior level of, of, uh, of quality of life than three generations before us. A one income. Exactly. Yes. Yes. They can. They can. They can. The standard. And, and the thing is, is for millennia, our standard never. You know, point two, point zero two percent increase um, uh, in standard of living, and then all of a sudden we we, we were actually in the double digits uh, since since the industrial revolution. Yeah, mistakes have been made. Yeah, things have not gone exactly right. Uh, now we've done some. You know, foolish things uh, with our technology, but I mean, we're we're positioned where we could we could reach the stars if if, if we could figure out um, how to deal with our our power. We 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 we've, we've mastered our environment, and but we haven't mastered ourselves. I'm not saying, like, I, I really believe that the putting God and Christ first is, is our way of mastering ourselves. Um, we, unfortunately, when we start taking God and Christ out of the equation, uh, we start running off the rails. Yeah. Well, let's look at it this way, a little differently. The supremacy of God and rule of law in our charter one doesn't supersede the other and for some reason in the last i would say probably the last decade for sure but certainly over the, the pandemic years we have seen overriding both of those we, we didn't have access to justice for sure the justice system basically shut the doors and said you guys figure out what's going to happen and now we're starting to see some justice restored which is great but justice system should have always been there but the supremacy of god and rule of law should be our underpinning our theme our not underpinning maybe that's not the right way maybe our overriding theme for every single canadian to have the same rights and privileges the same 24 hours to do something and that is part of what's being taken from us and i guess the other side of that is you know we have a system which doesn't, it's anti-God in many ways. Uh, -human, humanist. Yes, humanist. And what they have forgotten again is the rich and rich cultural heritage this country was founded on. If you go back to the founders debates and you, you start reading what those founders and framers of this country, this great nation who had no idea what the 
post-postmodernist system in the 21st century, if you like. But they they carved out debate in such a way that it recognized that this society isn't going to be stagnant. It's going to be growing. We are a new nation, and we need to recognize the rights of everybody who comes here. They didn't say that they were going to negate people's rights. It wasn't built on hate. It was built on love, exactly. loving one another, loving exactly. our neighbors, being good to one another, supporting people. Trust. And trust. And yes. Trust. That's, yes. that's the foundation, the absolute foundation of our, yes. of our, our being. If I, if I go to bed trusting that I, I'm not going to take it, then I can get a good night's sleep. Yes. If I go to bed not knowing that I'm sleeping with a gun under my pillow or a weapon or, or some means of protection and not knowing what it's going to be like um, partway through the night, then that creates a trauma that we can't build on. We can't build our lives on. We can't build a, a nation on. And Unfortunately, that's where I see things, we see our, ourselves going. Um, it's being repeated over and over in history, even from the 20th century. I mean, you can start with the, the, the Russian Soviets and the uh, German Nazis and the, uh, well, the Stalinist Soviets, um, going through the Maoist Chinese, communist, communist China still are. Not a good place for, for the average citizen to live. Look at the North Korea. It's, it's awful, absolutely awful. And yet, some of our leaders and decision makers actually admire these kinds of uh, totalitarian governments. Even with Sun TV watching for any slip, he was asked which country he most admired and referred to China. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green as fast as we need to start you know, investing in solar. I mean, there is a flexibility that I know Stephen Harper must dream about of having a dictatorship that he could do everything he wanted. Uh, but I find quite interesting. Where did we go off the rails in terms of education? Why are we not teaching our children that democracy as flawed as it might be and imperfect at times, there are ways to re-adjust our democracy, which you do not have the right to do in these other societies. And how are we allowing a tyrannical government to continue without any kind of opposition as, as we saw throughout the pandemic? Mm -hmm. So I believe that part of our problem and this has to go back again to the ministry because they would be responsible, is where is our history and civics lessons in our school system? Why are our children not understanding what the very basic premise of democracy is? Why can they not do a speech on what the framers and founders of this country said? Why? Because they don't know. They don't even understand that this country was founded as a new nation, as a new nation under God that would allow for everybody to have a place to be able to take their 24 hours a day and move forward and if you if you take away that standard that motivation like i, I believe the bible says where there is no vision the people perish well i can tell you after reading some of those debates the founders of this country had a vision it was a good vision 
it was a, a vision that was to in, intended to last for centuries coming forward. And here we are, and our students, and, and our, sad to say, much of the populace has never read a book about 1867. They've never understood what these debates were about. And, you, and it's not even 1867, it actually goes back because the debates started much earlier. Do we want to be like Britain where there is no constitution? Do we want a written constitution? What about the British North America Act, the, the BNA Act, which is part of our Canada Constitution 1867, where we actually saw the division of powers? There was no Canada Health Act in that division of powers. And now we look at it and we say we've got duplication between the federals, federal jurisdiction, provincial jurisdiction, but we also have a, a lot of, of new entities that we never needed before. Why is that? Why is there so much of our provincial powers being uh, handed over, if you will, to the federal government, to that federal jurisdiction with no accountability and no op opposition? And the one that I will point to is the recent, very recent, I don't believe Ontario has signed on yet. I'm kind of hoping they don't. But it's four provinces signed on, BC, Alberta, Nova Scotia and PEI. They signed on for an agreed amount of money and, and the premise, you know, the overriding premise is always these things that happen. The federal government says, we'll give you this amount of money if you open your rural clinics longer hours, if you facilitate more effectively emergency patients going through the emergency system in the hospital, uh, you know, technological things, let's make some, like make it more streamlined, etc. But if you read right to the bottom of the agreement, what does it say? It says, and turn over your personal health records of your constituents in your province. How did that happen? Why don't we know that? Yeah. This is this is scary. And all of a sudden, here we are, we're looking at this and four provinces have signed on, not really recognizing, hopefully they didn't recognize the long-term repercussions of that kind of decision. And, in, and from my perspective, soldier soul, and sold out your souls for your constituents because the federal government has no business with personal health records. That's right. And even further, the federal government, beyond the criteria imposed in the Canada Health Act to ensure there's universal health care for all citizens, that is the start and stop of federal legislation with regard to health care. It is a provincial jurisdiction. So again, returning back to that BNA Act that the founders so eloquently and so forward thinking thought through by describing this is federal powers, this is provincial powers. They did it to protect us. But again, we don't teach our students. We don't teach the populace these things. And we need to understand where our country started and why those things were put in place so that we would not have these kinds of things happening where provinces are now gonna sell out your, or submit or hand over, if you will, our personal health records to the federal government that has no mandate or any criteria that governs how they would use them. It's scary, it's scary times, but education is what will change this if we can get a good education base. We can inform our students, we can inform the teachers, we can inform the staff and the superintendents, the directors, and hopefully the trustees as well. So we're moving forward in whatever way that looks. And it's messy, I can assure you it's very messy. But yes. nevertheless, uh, sometimes messy is what is required to slow down the machine that has no direction, 
and really doesn't understand what the end game is going to be. I hope we don't understand the end game. But for the sake of all of society, all of Canadian citizens, we can do better. Slow down the train, and that's going to rely coming back to us as people, citizens. Citizens, yeah. Please share this episode of the Purple Microphone with friends and family. Remember, silence is consent. If you want to see positive change, you need to take positive action. If you have any questions or would like to help us, visit perthwellingtonppc.ca backslash contact for our email address and phone number. One of our representatives would be happy to meet with you to discuss your concerns. To become a subscriber to The Purple Microphone and Wayne Baker's uncensored email newsletter, go to perthwellingtonpbc.ca backslash subscribe. Please consider making a contribution to help cover the costs of producing and promoting this podcast. Help save Perth Wellington and the rest of our nation from government overreach, woke ideology, and irrational policies that are incompatible with freedom, fairness, respect, and personal responsibility. To donate, go to birthwellingtonppc.ca backslash donate. You can find all these links in the description below this video, along with links to any videos, articles, and books referenced in this episode. Freedom is a well there is neither tyranny nor anarchy, where the government works to keep people free. The PPC won't lock us down in a big nanny state. They'll leave us in peace to make this country great. They'll leave us in peace to make this country great. This production was approved by the Perth Wellington People's Party of Canada Electoral District Association.